0: Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of November 22nd from Pastor Brett Cottrell. This week, you may have any number, excuse me, of plans, ways to celebrate Thanksgiving. This may be, as we were kind of joking about earlier, it may be a a week-long holiday, it may be a weekend holiday, it may be a one-day holiday for you, whatever it might be but it probably has it probably will include among other things a good sized meal maybe turkey and some dressing maybe uh pumpkin pie i was expecting an amen in there uh maybe uh maybe some sweet potatoes loaded with marshmallows i'm pretty i don't know if the pilgrims had sweet potatoes with marshmallows or not maybe not yeah Maybe it's cranberry sauce. Now, I, gotta, I, gotta, you know, I know there's all different kinds of cranberry sauce out there. I, I like the stuff out of the can. You know, you, you, you put it there on the plate, and it kind of wiggles a little bit. And it's got the lines from the, that's cranberry sauce to me. I'll, that, that's, what that's what I'm going for. I'm pretty sure the pilgrims didn't have that either. Um, you probably have all kinds of stuff. There are also, when we get to Thanksgiving, there are symbols, there are traditions that bring to our mind the emotions and feelings of this time of the year. As we look, and of all places this morning, the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, what we'll find and we'll get a glimpse of this morning is that we aren't the only ones who have a history of thanksgiving. If we were ancient Israel, we might associate with the idea of giving thanks something like um, a lemon-like fruit called a citron. Maybe we would... Have as we is our version of Thanksgiving. We would um, have grapes and olives, figs, palm branches, and maybe we would build a booth, or as the Hebrews called them, a sukkot. Because in Leviticus chapter twenty-three, we also see this in Numbers twenty-nine. We see the establishment of something called the feast of the booths or sukkot in Hebrew. And the Feast of Booze was one of three annual feasts that God established for the people of Israel when they had been redeemed and rescued out of the nation of Egypt. He gave them three feasts to celebrate each and every year. One of them was Passover. Uh, The second one was what we now today call Pentecost, about seven weeks after Passover. The third one was the Feast of the Booze, or what came to be known as Sukkot. And of the three, it's generally felt, it generally was the Feast of the booze, which took place generally in September, October of the Hebrew calendar. It was this festival that was, well, the closest thing to a party. It was a joyous holiday. It was, in some sense, their version of Thanksgiving. Now, the Festival of booze or the Feast of booze um, would have included, among other things, them literally building... Well, they went camping. We'll just put it that way. They built little booths, or they would would go on a, 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 a journey to Jerusalem. They would build for themselves a little booth, and they would live in that booth for a week. They couldn't travel to Jerusalem. They would just build it sometimes wherever it was they lived. They built that booth. They would often even live in that booth. They would prepare their meals there, and it was a way of celebrating, remembering something specific. Now, we're going to get to that just in a moment, but as we come to Thanksgiving... As we come to the festival of the booze here in Leviticus chapter 23, the question is this. Why, or first of all, what is a biblical feast? Now, when you hear the word feast, what do you think of? Food. And not just some food, good food and lots of it, right? Probably food you don't eat the rest of the year, maybe a little fancier, at least there's more of it. So the idea is this. I want to begin with this. Does God command us to occasionally feast? And the answer is, thankfully, yes. <laughs> he does. At least three times a year they did this. Some of you are a little more excited about that than others. But yes, He commands us to feast. So, what is a biblical feast? Well, first of all, this. I've already mentioned this. First, you need food. And you need as much of it as you can get. You need lots of food, all right? This is a biblical idea. I'm not talking about gluttony here. I'm just talking about a feast. It has lots of food, an abundance of food. I even saw one guy say, it's a riot of food. And sometimes perhaps things you don't normally eat on a daily basis. I love turkey. I I eat turkey sandwiches all year long. I know a lot of people eat turkey maybe once a year. I don't really eat cranberry sauce that much, but I do like cranberry sauce. But maybe a Thanksgiving meal is some food we don't always eat all the time. It's, it's food that kind of brings us to Thanksgiving. Kind of, you know, maybe it's turkey, maybe it's a glazed ham. At Christmas, maybe there's things you eat. Does anybody ever actually eat fruitcake at Christmas? Or is that just something we all make fun of? <laughs> some of you eat fruitcake. Um, so feasting requires food. It also requires lots of people. And by that I mean this. If you have a boatload of food and it's you in front of a TV, doesn't really feel like a party, doesn't it? Feasting requires some biblical ideas. It requires not just food, it requires people. Lots of people. It also involves celebration. You're celebrating something, you're marking something. It's, it might be a wedding a birthday. In this case, it will be, of course, the Festival of Booths, and we'll look at that in more detail in just a moment. And also in Bible times, every time you had a feast, you would have a series of sacrifices, or what we might today call times of worship. So in biblical ideas, feasting requires food, it means people, it means celebrating, and it means worship. This is a biblical feast. And so the question for us this morning is, as we come to this time of feasting, what does it mean? I want you to look at this. Leviticus chapter 23, beginning in verse 34. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth of the seventh month is the Feast of Booths, for seven days to the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no work of, that kind, of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering for, by fire to the Lord. It's an assembly. You shall do no laborious work. These are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations to present offerings by fire to the Lord, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings. Each day's matter on its own. Now, there's more details here. Verse 41. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths for seven days. All the native-born Israel shall live in booths. So this was the festival that was set up. And by the way, this this feast was so important that in the Old Testament prophet of Zechariah, it even gives a glimpse of the future and says that in the days to come when God establishes a kingdom in Israel and there's an eternal kingdom, that this festival will still be celebrated so this is a big deal now for most of us thanksgiving will be one day maybe thursday maybe a couple of you could do a little traveling and may stretch out to two or three days but how long was this feast seven days how many of you up for seven days of turkey and dressing and cranberry sauce all right (laughs) so some of you like i don't know about you i like i like the two weeks of leftover turkey. I do. I mean, you eat the turkey on day one, and then you have some, so you eat, you know, we always eat at lunchtime, you know, turkey dressing at about 12.30 or 1 o'clock on Thursday, and then we eat it again at about 6 o'clock, and then sometimes just for breakfast the next day, um, maybe even for lunch on Friday, and then we'll take a break, maybe a pizza, and then Saturday, guess what? Turkey. The dressing at that point is starting to run out, but, you know, And then you find for the next week and a half, creative ways to use the rest of the turkey: turkey tetrazzini, turkey spaghetti, turkey sandwiches, turkey meatloaf. I don't know. I'm just I'm making stuff up now. What? Turkey tacos tacos. on Tuesday after Thanksgiving? Okay, there you go. It's a Taco Tuesday turkey. Okay, there we go. Turkey Taco Tuesday. Say that five times fast. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a seven day feast. God had for the people of Israel to each year set aside these seven days to feast, to worship, to celebrate, and to be with one another as a people of Israel. God set this up. Now what we'll see here is this. Sukkot in particular, this festival of booze, was meant to celebrate and to give thanks for something in particular. And it was in particular the... Uh, thanksgiving for god bringing the people of israel through the wilderness for those 40 years to remember things like god providing shelter for them providing water in the desert providing manna to eat each and every morning for protecting them from things like snakes and scorpions it is meant to remember god's deliverance not just from the nation of egypt that happened at passover with uh, as they as they celebrate the Passover they remember that night that they actually got out of Egypt the festival of booze was to remember the provision of God as he delivered them through the desert and the wilderness so that that's why they lived in booze because when you're traveling as no, as a nomadic people in the desert you don't build a house you don't have things hanging up on the wall you're living in essentially glorified tents little man-made booze that could just be taken down and and put back up in a moment's notice. Maybe he doesn't even have wood. Maybe he just got canvas, or you're just hanging some sheets on a string, whatever it might be. You're living like that. And they lived like that for 40 years. So they would build these huts. They would camp out, if you will, for a week to remember how God had sustained them through the years in the wilderness. Now, there were some rules here. If we were to go back into the more detail in Leviticus and Numbers, it, this, this booth had to have four walls, It had to have a roof of pine branches, but you had to be able to see through the roof. They didn't want, you had to be able to see the stars at night through the roof. So in other words, if it rained, yeah, you got wet. Of course, you're in the desert, so it probably doesn't rain a whole lot. But this is what this was meant to do, to remind them of how God had provided for them. And so they would take a week every year to go camp out and remember what it was like for God to sustain them through the desert. That was Sukkot. So why of all things, why of all things would God say, I want you to remember what I've done, through you, done for you through the wilderness, and I want you to remember that by going out, camping out, hanging out with your folks, and feasting for a week? Why, why would that be there? Well, let's, let's look at this for, for a moment. Um, first of all this, I've mentioned to you a few things that a biblical feast was. First of all, you need food. Why would God command a feast... To remember his provision for them of things like manna through the wilderness. Well, we already talked about an abundance, a a feast kind of means that there's an abundance of food. You're kind of going out of your way to make a big deal of it. Let me ask you a question. Let's tie this together like this How big, how abundant is God's mercy and grace? How profound is God's compassion? What are the limits to His resources? Well, of course, the answer to all these things is they're huge. There's almost no limits to His resources. There there is an abundance of God's provision. So, what better way to celebrate God's profound grace and mercy than with an abundance of whatever it is we have? Imagine this. Christmas is coming up here in just a few weeks. Imagine that whatever the circumstances are, you decide to uh, give someone a lavish gift. You know, I, all those car commercials this time of year you know, it 's got some husband giving his wife a jo- a car with a big giant red bow on on the hood of that car. Sorry, Angela. not happening <laughs> i 've actually never given a car or gotten a car for Christmas, you know but Okay, you know, you know you get a, you get a, if you get a brand new 2020, 2021 vehicle, you're going to spend tens of thousands of dollars. So you've decided, whatever the gift might be, you've decided to give this lavish gift. And on Christmas morning, you give the gift, and they go, hmm. And they move on to the next thing. How would that make you feel as the giver of that gift? If you spent 20,000 bucks on a gift, what do you expect from the person when they open it up? I expect some jumping up and down. I would expect some shouting. Some hallelujah. I love you forever. (laughs) The size of the gift means something, doesn't it? If you give someone a gift that you picked up for a buck and a half at the the Dollar General on Christmas Eve, and you get a... "Mm." You ask for that one. But you give something lavish, you expect a celebration, don't you? You expect something big. Look what God has done for the people of Israel. Look what God has done for us. I'm not saying break the bank to celebrate Thanksgiving, but what I'm saying is this. When we begin to understand the magnitude, the profound nature, the lavishness of God's gift for us, How can we do anything other than celebrate big? It's a feast. Secondly, feasting involves people. I know not all of us can always gather together with large families. Maybe they're not around here. Whatever the reason may be. But God does call His people together on a regular basis, whether it's ancient Israel or the modern church, He calls his people together, together to celebrate, to worship, to come together and to tell each other the wonderful things of what God has done. God saves a people called Israel. He has called for himself today a people to serve him called the church. You and I this morning as those who have chosen to follow Christ, wherever we may be this morning, we are the called people of God called out together, together to worship, to celebrate, to give thanks. To celebrate together what God has done. For God has called us out as a people. We are on this Christian life. As the people of Israel were saved from Egypt, they were on a quest as a people for the promised land. They came through as a nation through the wilderness. We, you and I today, are not by ourselves. We are not individual Christians out there on our own hoping to make it. We are part of a people. We've been brought together. And sometimes you may think to yourself, those people annoy me. Well, maybe. Maybe you annoy them too. I don't know. But regardless, we are a people. God's called us to come together. And so the feast is an opportunity for the nation of Israel to leave their homes, leave their communities once or twice or three times a year, and to come together as a people and to tell each other the amazing things that God has done. It's part of who God's called them to be. So the feast... Is it a, is a signal, it's a, it's, a, it's a celebration of the abundant grace of God? It's a time when we are reminded that we are part of a people? We're not by ourselves? Third, there's just, there's just the celebration. And by the way, this celebration, whether it's the festival of booze, or whether it's in a few moments the Lord's Supper, is not just a reminder about something God has done in the past, but they always lead towards something that God's going to do in the future as well. Now, I'm going to look at that here in just a few moments. But there is a people, corporate nature for us. So what is the future? When When the people of Israel were called to celebrate the festival of booze, what were they looking towards? Well, if we were to flash forward to the Gospels, if we were to flash forward to the life of Christ, the festival of booze at that point in time of Sukkot, as it came to be known, was simply called the Feast. It kind of dropped the Feast of Booze. It had just became known as the Feast. Are you going to the Feast? Can't wait to get to the Feast. Been looking all year towards the Feast. That's all it was called. It was just the Feast. And it was a big, big deal. In fact, one th- a couple things they would do, they had added some traditions through the years to the original idea of the Feast of, the feast of Booze. Two of them in particular were to commemorate the things that God had done as the people of Israel came through the wilderness. The first one of this, it was a water ceremony to commemorate God providing water, sometimes from rocks in the middle of the desert. And so uh, during Jesus' day, uh, during the middle of the festival of Booths, they had a a priest would go down to the pool of Siloam. You may remember the pool of Siloam? That's where Jesus healed a a lame man one time. they would go down the pool of Siloam, they would get a barrel full of water, and they would carry this, this water up in some big party of a parade up to the temple, and they would pour the water out on the altar, kind of like, the, uh, kind of like Elijah did before he prayed and God you know, burned up that, uh, uh, that, that sacrifice on top of Mount Carmel. So they, this was a big deal, and it was celebrating what God had done to provide water for them in the desert. And it was also a way of praying and asking God to provide what they needed for the coming year. So that was part of what they would do. It, it was a highlight. Second thing they would do is, they had four, about 70, 75 foot tall, um, well, not really candles, but, you know, pillars, lamps, 70 something feet tall, that's a big lamp, and, and these lamps were at the temple, and they would light these lamps on day one, and they would stay lit, kind of like the Olympics, for a week. Now, you can imagine in an ancient city like Jerusalem, what four 75-foot-tall pillars looked like at nighttime with that fire burning throughout the entire week. That was quite a sight. And, of course, that is to commemorate, to remember what God did as far as providing the pillar of fire to lead and be with his people throughout their 40 years in the wilderness. Oh, that's all cool. That's fine. That, this, this You can see why this would become a big deal. I mean, you can imagine camping out in a hut outside Jerusalem, and you see those fires going all night long every night. That's a Let's let like, you know there's something big going on. If you were to, and we don't have to turn there right now, if you were to go to John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, <clears throat> the gospel of John, Jesus is doing some teaching in John 7 and 8, and he's doing it at the feast. He is in Jerusalem celebrating the feast with his family and with his disciples. They're celebrating the Feast of the Booths. So Jesus most likely has set up a booth outside Jerusalem somewhere. He's camping out in his booth along with the palm branches and the, and the olives and the citrons. It's a big deal. And it says in the scriptures that um, they had brought, you know, when they, they brought the water in, they've got this water parade. And in John chapter 7, while attending the feast, in the context of this water parade we talked about, Jesus says this, if anyone's thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You catch catch the connection that Jesus is making here? They are celebrating the provision of water in the desert. And Jesus says, I am the living water. Come to me. I am the source of this living water. He told the same thing to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, didn't he? Same festival, pillars of light, pillars of flame at the top of the Temple Mount, making bright everything at nighttime all around the area of the city of Jerusalem. In that context, as the the feast is wrapping up at the end of the week, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So something they're doing to commemorate God's, presence, the pillar of flame as the people of Israel came through the desert. That pillar of flame, they've got it marked up there on the Temple of Israel, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, those two phrases, we've, we've heard those two things. I'm the, I'm the living water, I am the light. We've heard Jesus talk about that, but connect what Jesus is actually doing here. In the middle of the feast, the festival of booths designed to thank God for his provisions for them through the desert, through the wilderness, Jesus says, I am the things that you're celebrating. I am the living water. I am the light. Those things, guess what? Point to, Jesus says, me. And just as Passover, that we talked about at Easter, just as the Passover lamb points to the sacrifice that Christ would make on our behalf, so the festival of Booths points to the light, the water, the provision, the presence, the mercy, the grace, compassion of God. And when we we understand the depths of his grace, the depths of his compassion, his day in day out, 24/7 presence with us. That's worth a party. It just is. <laughs> it's worth a celebration. Now, that grace, that compassion For us, we consider it to be a free grace. There is a sense that it is. You and I don't have to work for it. God comes to us and says, I will be your light. I will be your water. All you have to do is trust me, believe me, and take. For us, it seems relatively easy. For the people of Israel, all you got to do is follow the fire. Drink the water. That's all you got to do. But I want you to know something. Grace is only free for the people who receive it. Grace is not free for the giver. For Christ, the one who would be our flame, who would be our water, who would be our provision, who would sustain us through the desert, for him it cost everything to do that. Maybe over the last few weeks or even the last few months, this year has seemed for you like living in a desert. <clears throat> Maybe your life has been exhausting. Maybe spiritually you have felt dry. Maybe you've wondered where God is. Maybe you've been lonely. Maybe this year has simply been difficult beyond words. And maybe you come to Thanksgiving just done. Just done. Tired. Yet God has been there. There has been a light of his presence. There has been the water of salvation. <clears throat> Maybe this morning we're here simply to say, God, we're getting us to November 22nd. <laughs> Just getting us to here. We're going to feast. You have a family in the people of God here at London First Baptist. a people to feast with, to worship with, to work with, to survive with, to follow him with, to receive grace with. Even if you feel like you're still in the wilderness, the times of difficulty, before we get to the promised land, deliverance and God's presence of the fire and cloud, water are still here. And by celebrating Thanksgiving this week, we are reveling, if you will, in the abundant love and grace and activity of God. But by the way, God rarely tells us to remember just for the sake of remembrance's sake. When God tells us to remember something, it's always because there's something we're looking forward to in the future as well. For us this morning, as we come to celebrate, as we come to a time of thanksgiving, we're going to celebrate God's deliverance of us through our sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, But God showed his love towards us in that what? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While the people of Israel were still rebelling against God, they were slaves. While they were sometimes still rebelling against God, they were still coming through the wilderness, and yet God still rescued them. He was patient and merciful and compassionate, and he brought them to, eventually, the promised Land And this morning, God has, through Christ, offered us salvation through the desert. And when we feel like we have nothing else, he, has, he will bring us through. So this morning, we celebrate God's deliverance of us through the desert, through our sin. As we do so, we look forward to a heavenly celebration when we will, in fact, feast at the wedding supper of the lamb and we do these things today not by building a booth and hanging outside the temple in jerusalem waving palm branches we don't really even ultimately do it by having turkey and stuffing the way you and i do this this morning the way we celebrate god's provision through the sin through desert the way we look forward to the, the, the feast that we will one day have in heaven is that we take the bread, and the cup that we call the Lord's Supper. Normally, uh, on a Sunday before Thanksgiving, we gather together on Sunday evening for a big fellowship meal in the fellowship hall across the street. We pack out that thing. We're elbow to elbow. Remember what that was like? And we have a meal, and we laugh, and we talk, we tell jokes, we enjoy the fellowship of the people. And we have the Lord's Supper. We have the meal that God established through Christ. So when Jesus says, take the bread and take the cup, we realize that just as he sustained the people of Israel through the wilderness, he will save and sustain us through his body and his blood. So there is no more appropriate way no more celebratory way, no more fitting way than to begin a week of feasting, a week of Thanksgiving, than to take, take the cup and to take the bread. Now, we are gonna, we're going to do that. It will look different. So if you were in the room here this morning, you have something that looks like this. Looks like a little coffee creamer thing. It's got two little wrappers on top. If you will undo the top one, that top one, it's a thin one, you will uncover the wafer. I invite you right now to do that, to open it up. looks like this. And Jesus said as he had his disciples that night, the night before his crucifixion, the night before he actually gave his body, when he said, this is something new to do. He said, take this, which is my body broken for you. He said, take and eat. That night he also took the cup. You can open that up with that next thing there. And Jesus said to his disciples, this is my blood, which is given for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, it's an instrument of great grace and compassion. You will be delivered from your sins through the desert with this. So, This is my blood given for the, uh, for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink it all. Now, by our standards, we wouldn't necessarily call that a feast. But it sure is talking about one. It's pointing us to one. This was just a swallow of juice. This symbolizes the abundant blood of Christ. that covers all sin. This was just a little bitty wafer that symbolizes... The body of our Savior given for us. There's just a taste. For all its joy, the festival of booths was just a taste of the, of the coming grace and compassion of God. For all this means to so us, and boy, it's good to do this, even in this little different way. This is just a taste. of the joy and of the meal that God is preparing for us that we will one day sit at a table, elbow to elbow, elbow to elbow, with those throughout the generations and the centuries who have come to faith in Christ. And we will celebrate a meal like no other. This is what God has called us to.